Hey there, Margie Bryce here bringing you the Krabby Pastor Podcast. And I don't think you're going to be too surprised to know that it's too easy today to become the Krabby Pastor. Our time together will give you food for thought to help you be the ministry leader fully surrendered to God's purposes and living into whatever it takes to get you there and keep you there. So we're talking about sustainability in ministry. Well, the Krabby Pastor is on a roll here. I've been speaking with pastors on the podcast about their private pain, the challenge of working with small and dying congregations, Then I shifted to the biblical example of moping by none other than Elijah. And in this episode, we're picking on Paul, although most of the time Paul seems to fare fairly well, doesn't he? I mean, except for that parting company with Barnabas and Mark thing that was a little abrupt and we're left wondering exactly what went on in all of that. We've got some ideas, but... But for this episode, I want to look at Acts 27, and and for the record, I have preached the whole chapter on this once, and I was a guest preacher somewhere, and people were like, she's got to preach the whole chapter, probably thinking that the roast would burn or something. They were a little nervous about that, but I am a big hunk of scripture gal, and I love to see the ebb and flow in a passage, and I think this helps us to see what God is up to. So anyway... This could be titled, you know, The Crew's Gone Bad, maybe. I don't know. This is in Acts, as I said. It's the story of the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And for some, the ends of the earth would mean Rome. And it certainly meant that for the Apostle Paul at this point in Acts chapter 27, because Paul is under arrest and on his way to Rome. In a pretty strategic move, Paul claims his Roman citizenship, and this means he gets to appeal to Caesar, you know, and we know what Paul is thinking, right? This gets me an audience in Rome. And actually, some accounts have said that he might have been set free if he had not asked for this appeal from to Caesar. So on the cruise, basically, Paul is handed over to a centurion who's going to escort him to Italy, and they eventually make it to Fair Havens on a grain boat, a grain boat. So they are transporting grain. Um, Having made it this far was kind of slow. The weather was difficult and the wind was a challenge, but it's It was hard for them to stay on course, and historians have calculated that this trip was made in very early October, and it's well known that the dangerous season, the off, off, off season for cruises of this nature was from mid-September to mid-November. So if this is not a grain boat but a cruise line, you would probably be paying the really cheap, cheap, cheap off-season rates if you would bother at all. So in this case, however, dangerous season means different things to different people. And the owner of the boat's probably excited about the bonus for delivering grain to Italy to help maintain their grain supply in the off-season. Romans got cranky and unruly if their grain supply ran short, just like we do about toilet paper in a crisis. Anyway, Paul 
who already had about 3,000 frequent sailor miles on him already, and the experience of three shipwrecks up to this point advises the men against sailing farther. You know, just a little common sense advice here, you know, in verse 10, that pretty much gets ignored. So it's westward ho on to Italy. So they head around the shores of Crete, and they encounter the perfect storm. It was a nor'easter, wind of hurricane force, and the grain boat, along with its 276 passengers, takes a cruise at the mercy of the wind. I mean, you could say it was unexpected, but not really. You know, it's pretty well known this was a dangerous time for a cruise. It was pretty rough sailing. No engines, no radio to send off an SOS, probably no flare guns, and the boat is battered beyond belief, quite literally. You know, this is not a safe place to be right now. And Paul, like the rest of them, is basically at the mercy of Mother Nature. You know, none of us has figured out yet how to contain or diffuse any kind of hurricane or storm, to the best of my knowledge. So a part of me doesn't get this, okay? I mean, for starters, the Apostle Paul gives common sense advice about not sailing now. It's well known you shouldn't sail during this time of year, and it's well known why you shouldn't sail now, because the perfect storm will be waiting to take you on a ride that you don't want to go on. But how many times have each of us, whether there is a clear warning ahead or not, been dragged around by life's hurts and challenges, feeling as if there is no reason to this, no direction to this, and you're at the mercy of it all. And this is probably, I don't know, it's a weird example, I guess. But for me, this is an era of grieving that's kind of complicated. I'm not going into all of it, but a large part of it is losing my dad in early February. And this weekend in early May, we're doing the memorial as the estate executor, I'm feeling a bit dragged around, you know. For example, we are driving 600 plus miles to deliver like seven boxes of bears. The be- This is no joke. No joke. I couldn't make this up. You never have to make stuff up, right? Real life is weird enough. I never have to make stuff up. The bears are my dad's collection. For some reason, his, his wife liked bears and my dad compulsively kept buying these bears, seven boxes worth. Um, so this is my dad's collection, and my sisters and I got custody of it. Now, prior to this 600-mile delivery of bears, my husband and youngest son flew to Arizona to rent a car and pick them up and drive them to Michigan. So this weekend, the net result of that trek from Arizona is so that we could drive them another 600 miles to my sister's. So I'm feeling a bit dragged around, you know, enhanced by grief, of course. And I'm thinking, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this. But as in all kind of trying situations, you don't generally see it, you know? I don't know. Anyway, back to Paul, though. Because in verse 20, things kind of get dark. So the grain boat is being dragged around the sea. They can no longer see the sun or stars for many, many days. 
which would mean for a sailor that you would have no idea which way you were going, no direction whatsoever, no global positioning satellites, no OnStar, no compass, no Google Maps, no direction whatsoever, and you are along for the ride. And certainly, you don't feel safe. And a bigger thing, they are losing a sense of hope because this was not smooth sailing. And on top of all that, in verse 21, hunger looms as they had gone a long time without food, no nourishment, and low blood sugar also means there might be some crabbiness there, just saying. And the perfect storm is still raging. And it is before a group of weary and hungry and hopeless fellow travelers that Paul stands and says this, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of, of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. Well, that that was pretty nervy for him to stand up and say that. I mean, keep up your courage. The ship is going to be destroyed, and we will be fine. We must run aground on some... Who is this guy? Is he Is he nuts? I'm sure somebody in the pack was thinking that. There were 276 of them, so at least one person had to be thinking that way. And, and you know, I ever have someone come to you in the middle of your storm and tell you something that really leads you to believe that they just don't understand. They don't see what you see in the same way. And and yet, for those of us in Christ, somehow those words can indeed sink into the depths of our hearts. And even though it's hard for us to really believe what they are saying, well, we want to believe it. Somebody's got to stir up some hope somewhere. Well, the grain boat and its passengers, drug around by gale force winds for 14 days, you know, the sailors are still doing their thing, and now they realize that the water is getting more and more shallow, which might mean you are either running into rocks or an island. So they drop four anchors in this raging storm and pray for daylight. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed for daylight to hurry up? or for a hard day to end, or an era of struggle just to be over. You know, you feel like you're in the long, dark tunnel, and you kind of want to see the light at the end of it. And it never fails. Time does indeed seem to go slower in a crisis and in in a challenge. But there they sat, in a boat being battered about in the dark, praying for daylight. And you're not safe. No direction, no nourishment, no food. Wet, tired, soggy, discouraged. No hope, except for what Paul and Paul's faith in God had to offer. Well, there's always 
a resourceful individual in any group. And with this drop in anchor and praying for daylight mode, we see several who think this is a perfect opportunity to get on the lifeboats and sail who knows where. <laughs> they were just getting out of there. It was plan B, you know, and no option has come to call. Plan B, where you feel like you just have to do something because it's too uncomfortable where you're sitting at right now. Plan B, you know, where we get to exercise our own good judgment about our situation. Plan B, where we take the reins of action in our own hands and decide. I don't care if it's a good idea or not. I'm piloting my own life here because the perfect storm is out of my control, even if it is the perfect place for us to be in the moment. Hmm. Or as my spiritual director says, you know, if you have open circles in your life, you know, and that makes us all a little fidgety. It makes me really fidgety. I feel like I've got to do something. You want to close them and get a sense of relief from that closure. But she told me that from her personal experience, it's best to let God close them as opposed to closing them ourselves. Drop the mic. So (laughs) I'll let you muddle with that thought as I have been muddling all along here with it. But back to our passage where Paul steps in again and warns, don't get into that lifeboat. You're not going to be safe. It's a bad thing. Stay with the ship. Paul says, stay with the ship. And they abandon plan B of getting in the lifeboats. But boy, that still isn't the kind of cruise we're hoping for, is it? You know, and this is some days not the kind of life we were hoping to go through, is it? You know, even the the Apostle Paul, the man of God during that era, who worked, who planted churches, established faith communities, and served the Most High God and was responsible for the tremendous spread of the gospel to the Gentile world, which includes you and I, certainly he would have gotten a better cruise deal than the one he's on at the moment. Just saying. This is how we think some days. And Paul then steps in once more, verses 33 to 35. And just before dawn, Paul urges them all to eat. I have to say to you, where was this food stash? But anyway, we're, we're rolling with this piece of it. Paul says, For the last 14 days, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. And they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves, Altogether, there were 276 of us on board, and when they had eaten as much as they wanted, they lightened the ship by throwing the grain into the sea. I'm amazed at that. I am absolutely amazed at that. I know for us here in the 21st century, we see the Lord's table here in this. And Paul didn't take a head count to see who was a follower or not in the middle of the perfect storm, thanking God right in the middle of the perfect storm. And I wonder if Paul had in mind some of the things he had already written to encourage and instruct the churches. 
and believers in God, like this which was written before the event. From Romans 28. And you knew this was coming somewhere. (laughs) And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And now on to verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did this echo in Paul's mind as he was in the middle of this storm? Well, daylight comes, and they still don't know where they are. I think that's sort of humorous, but praying for daylight, it shows up. They still don't have a clue. They are still disoriented, lacking direction. The boat is run aground. And then it's everyone for themselves to get to the shore safely. And they all did get there safely. And actually, they landed on the island of Malta. Interestingly enough, Malta in the Phoenician language means refuge. So if we step back for a moment and look back at all this, despite Paul's common sense warning, despite what the calendar said, this group proceeded into dangerous turf and they encountered the perfect storm. And they made it all the way to an island. The people get there in one piece, the boat doesn't, to the island called refuge. They go through the storm to refuge. So where was God in all of this? Where is God when you're in the middle of the perfect storm? Right there in the boat with you the whole time. And in this case, working through the care and compassion of the Apostle Paul. God's presence is there in the lives of believers. And God is always in the boat with you, whether you feel it or not. You know... I know you know this, and you know that's what church is about anyway, right? Reminders, because our brains go too many other different directions, and sometimes we need those reminders. Because, you know, I can't answer why God quells some storms and not others, you know, but I do have reason to suspect it has to do with helping us to trust God even more when our eyes and our emotions tell us otherwise 
But I do know this, if you go through a storm, God is indeed with you in the boat. If someone you know is going through a storm, the challenge is how can we offer the presence of Christ by reaching out with some simple things that say, God is here, God knows, God sees, and God cares. Finally, I'm going to close with kind of a challenge passage, whether you're in a storm or you need to be compassion for someone else in a storm. And I'm going to share some more of what Paul said sometime after this experience from his letter to the church at Philippi as he recounts their generosity and and good deeds to him. And I will leave you with this passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me, Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Be blessed this day. Signing off, The Crabby Pastor. Hey, thanks for listening. It is my deep desire and passion to champion issues of sustainability in ministry and for your life. So I'm here to help. I stepped back from pastoral ministry and I feel called to help ministry leaders Uh, create and cultivate sustainability in their lives so that they can go the distance with God and whatever plans that God has for you. I would love to help. I would consider it an honor. And in all things, make sure you connect to these sustainability practices, you know, so that you don't become the crabby pastor.